0: Hi and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for two thousand years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy, to discuss the topic of technology and its effects on many different aspects of our lives. And uh, we brought this uh, this topic up uh, in a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, and we thought it'd be a fun one to revisit and, and look at some some more aspects because the topic of technology a it's so broad um, but also uh, it's in today's society it's found a way to affect nearly every single part of our daily lives mm-hmm. and not just our you know the things that you know whether it be you know buying something on amazon but even our daily interactions with others uh, uh, that it's just it's really crept into Every single aspect of our life. So, how do we approach something something like this? Where, how do we try not to remain too broad, but maybe we can we can kind of dive into it and look at it with a Catholic lens?
1: Sure. So, I think a good uh, a good thing, uh, a good place to begin, of course, uh, as I always tell my students, is to begin with some good definitions. Yeah. Right? So, uh, we need to think a little bit about what we mean by technology, mm-hmm. right? I think. Um, so there's a, a kind of um, you know, bias towards the present, which we think, oh, and only now do we have technology. Right. Um, but that's not correct, right? Uh, technology, you know, is the combination of the Greek terms techne and logia. Um, techne, right, uh, can mean something like a skill, right, mm-hmm. uh, a kind of craft. Um, it also can mean, and came to mean pretty early, tools, right? That is the, you think of, you know, you could think of techne as, as being a carpenter, and then you could think of, well, the tools that the carpenter uses, right, um, they're also kind of an extension of the tech net, right? right? When you're thinking about technology, really a good way of thinking about it is to think about it primarily at, in, in terms of tools, right? Mm-hmm. And once you, you sort of expand it, when you think about tools, tools are wonderful, right? They allow us to do things we couldn't do otherwise or to save time, mm-hmm. right, and labor on things that we couldn't do otherwise, right? So, I mean, if you've ever tried to dig a hole with a stick, right yeah. versus a shovel yeah right i mean the shovel all of a sudden like wow shovels are pretty great you know yeah. <laughs> like,
0: oh yeah you know? whenever so, i hand my kids a shovel it's so exciting for
1: them <laughs> <laughs> so actually you know uh tools are wonderful things uh tools uh um make it to where we can do things as i say we couldn't do otherwise right uh especially uh, i know jason you, you do some woodworking and so forth but imagine just trying to do any of that just I don't know with rocks or your hand. I mean, there's just so many things you couldn't do, like if you didn't have a lathe or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. So uh, they actually make it capable, make us capable of doing things we couldn't do otherwise, and or of doing them more quickly, right, and more efficiently. Um, so tools are great, and of course, a lot. And you know, and you could write a history of civilization. It would be an incomplete history, but you could nevertheless write a history of civilization, which you just talked about tools, right? <laughs> that sound that might sound kind of boring, but actually tools have a lot to do with economic development, social development, all those sorts of things. Right? Oh, yeah.
0: Even in the, even, especially in the history of the United States, one of the biggest things was the uh, the mechanics of farming. I mean, that sure. was huge, a the huge type. turning
1: point of uh, US history, I know. That's right, yeah. So when we're thinking about technology, we think about tools. Now, when we bring it up to our own time, mm-hmm. right, the tool, like, if this is, I think, really fascinating when you think about it. Like, uh, so this is a great quote I want to read from uh, Marshall McLuhan. Marshall McLuhan was a, uh, philosopher uh, who did a lot of sort of uh, work in the philosophy of communications and the philosophy of media. He was really mm-hmm. one of the first philosophers to turn his mind and analysis in that direction. And he has this great quote, uh, I'll just read it here for our listeners, where he says, um, uh, we become what we behold, we shape our tools, and thereafter our tools shape us. Um, I think that's a that's a really great insight.
0: And yeah, the way that's in interesting. Which,
1: you know, you know, like, like when the plow was really well-developed, you know, that, that created the possibility of more robust agricultural communities, a way of life, right? So that we make the tools, but in other sense, the tools make us. They create possibilities, forms of social organization, forms of economic development that otherwise wouldn't be possible, right? right? So I think that there are other ways of thinking about culture and society, for sure, than just thinking about the tools. But the tools are actually an interesting way of doing that. And so you think about what tools define contemporary society. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, That's what's going to give you a view on what is our technological culture, what is is the the technology that's relevant to our lives today. And I think pretty obviously what we're talking about is we're post the Industrial Revolution, right, Mm -hmm. That, that industrial capitalism, industrial society, right, was late 19th century, early 20th century. But now we're in the time of information technology. We're in the time of digital technology. Uh, the time of uh, internet technology. So really, right, that, that the computer, the internet, and the, uh, the kinds of activities that those two things being brought together make possible really defines a lot of our civilization, a lot of our culture.
0: Yeah, and, it, it, and even when you look at, uh, you know, some of the economic, f- new, the, the new economic fields uh, today, one of the biggest ones is, is data. Um, You know, I mean, that's how, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, or even, you know, selling data, I mean, Facebook, Uh, you know, Twitter, like, this is how these people make money as they sell data. So I mean, it's, it's not, you know, it's not just uh, uh, that our lives are more intertwined to it, but it's, but it's bringing up these, these kind of new industries that that we didn't even, you know, think of that much, or, or we didn't think of them as such a large uh, scale you know so I mean even just the, the way that our society has kind of relied heavily or it's becoming sure. to the point where it's relying so heavily on on data. Uh, yeah. uh, that we that we our priorities sometimes get a little bit out of hand, and, and we're only you know data driven or something like that. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, even in education, which that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> you know, with regards to you know kind of how we're viewing technology. I mean, yeah, the internet and being uh, attached to it. You know, one of the books I mentioned last time, the book Igen was was essentially looking at a um, a generation of of people. Uh, that essentially grew up with an iPhone and connected with that iPhone connected to social media and right. kind of what what their what the, what this is you know done to our uh population. Uh, there's Ooh. another book I'll mention out there it's called the happiness uh effect by Donna Freitas. Uh, uh and just for our, our our listeners uh Christian Smith wrote the foreword. Um oh, so it's wow. a pretty good uh, it, it's a it's it's a really interesting book. Uh, Again, on how technology has uh, affected uh, many different areas, particularly with uh, young people and young adults. Um, So maybe we could look at some of the some of the I mean, they'll have both positives and and negative effects. But maybe we could look at some of the things that technology has um, brought to the way that we do things. Uh, the way that we um, have looked at uh, or the way we interact with other people, you know? So, you know, I mean, one of, one of the things we've talked about is just, you know, the, the immediacy of information, Um, you know, the, the the first thing that always comes to mind is, you know, like phone numbers, you know, when I was a kid, I had all these phone numbers memorized, but yep, not anymore. (laughs) That's
1: right. Yeah. So these things can kind of, uh, they become to some degree a crutch for us. Um, I guess the, the upside is to think, well, maybe that saves us time and energy, uh, that we can devote to other things. Mm-hmm. I think if we do so, right. <laughs> uh, though, I mean, one of the ways of thinking about this is, you know, you know, when you're thinking about, uh, it's good to just, it's good to recognize how deep this goes in our lived experience, right. Mm-hmm. The reach of technology. I think you literally could not digital technology in particular, right. Um, digital internet technology I'm just gonna use digital technology as a shorthand right um, but the um, you could not if you, you could not describe adequately the average American life hmm. without reference to uh, smartphones uh, Facebook uh, the internet uh, email etc do you see what I'm saying like it, it, you actually would you couldn't explain what the average American life is like without right. bringing those things in. Right. And as you point out, one of the things that's very significant about, you know, sort of the digital world is its ability to provide us with immediate information and maybe just as importantly, immediate, uh, satisfaction, immediate stimulation. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can, um, with, re- <laughs> so this sound weird, but with relatively little effort. Yeah. You can call up endless streams of funny YouTube videos, right? <laughs> and then go down a rabbit hole of looking at sarcastic memes about the particular political figure you hate. Yeah. And then go over and look at Facebook for hours, right? And, you know, or an hour or whatever. You know, you see what I'm saying, right? Oh, yeah. This takes very little energy to do. Um, it does take vast swaths of time, but it takes little uh, energy to do it. Um, and you can just be constantly stimulated, right? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, it's almost as if the whole thing, right, especially once you have the, the smartphone, right, which is just right there in your hand, right? It's not even like you're sitting at a desk. Oh, yeah. Uh, where you can just be constantly stimulated, right? Um, uh, so that the whole thing in, in one way looks as if it were a mechanism for immediate constant satisfaction, immediate constant uh, stimulation.
0: And I think that's what, what eventually, you know, leads to addiction. You know, I remember sure. reading, I remember this was a few years ago. Uh, um, I remember reading a study about SpongeBob SquarePants and it's, you know, effect on children and stuff. I hate that guy. Um, but <laughs> sure. well, my kids, my, uh, guy, I mean, yeah, but, uh, uh the, what the study said was that, it wasn't so much, and it was talking about how SpongeBob makes your kids stupider or something like that. That was like the title of it, um, <laughs> but essentially, but essentially, what it, what it was saying was that um, the uh, uh, everything happening like in a SpongeBob episode, there's no. Um, uh, slow periods there's no dull colors there's you know all of these things and so it's not that it drains your child from being able to concentrate but what it does is it sets a new normal rate for right. stimulation yes. it raises it to it raises it so high that the new normal rate of stimulation for a child is so high that anything below that is going to be just painfully boring uh, yes. so painfully- so yeah you yeah you hand a child a book and they don't know what to do with it. I mean, they'll, they'll read a page and fall asleep. Uh, um, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's that it's raised this, this, this bar of, of kind of normal stimulation uh, mm-hmm. to such a point. And I think that's what, you know, um, the smartphones have done. You know, I remember even in like uh, Rod Dreher's book, he talks about when he was on a retreat and he had a, he put his cell phone away cause he just didn't get reception. And he said he found himself at different, you know, parts where there was no conversation. And the first thing he did was, you know, Kind of and, and by reaction, you know, kind of just reached for his pocket and was like, oh, yeah, right, nah. right. you know, like, I mean, we, we've all been there. Like, you know, you're standing in line for something and your hand starts to reach for your phone or something like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just it's this 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 pull, you know, and like you said in that quote, you know, the technology begins to to define us.
1: Yeah, it defines us and it defines us, like you say, in our in our relationship to boredom in our relationship yeah. to time. Uh, and you know, the, 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 fact is, it's just not good for us to be constantly stimulated actually. Oh yeah. When it's actually like low level, constant stimulation. Um, you know, it's just not, it's, it's not nourishing to the soul.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's the, it doesn't cultivate the mind. Um, often this is, you know, uh, entertainment through just trivia, um, and it, it teaches us to expect immediate satisfaction. Yeah. It teaches us, uh, and also to think about it in these sort of little quantitative um, inputs, right? That we can constantly uh, um, uh, expect, and that's just not real life. Right? That's not real life, you know. Oh and, yeah. Uh, you know, real life um, doesn't involve constant stimulation and constant, and more importantly, constant satisfaction. Right. right. One thing I've done you know, I've tried to adopt as a habit, I don't always follow it, but I've been pretty consistent on this is when I am with a friend,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I do not use it without apologizing. <laughs> uh, so like, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm with somebody at lunch and there is something really pressing, right, then I will maybe send a text, but I apo- I make a point of apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, this is not what I do. I just really do have to send this text and then I put the phone away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a good thing to do is just, you know, to not have it on your desk, right? Not oh, have yeah. it on your table when you're eating. Uh, have it put away. I put, uh, one thing I did with my students in, in classes, I literally say, you're breaking the rule in my class if I can see your cell phone, right? <laughs> uh, because if I don't do that, I've noticed like, you know, like I'll, I'll put down as a rule at the beginning of class, you can't look at your cell phone, right? About three weeks in, you know, like they'll hold out for a couple of weeks, you know, but then, you know, they just, they just, they just start, you know, and and so it literally has to be physically removed from their reach. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, but anyway, I mean, that just goes to the power of the habit, right? Of uh, of looking at that thing. Um, one of the effects here of this constant stimulation, besides it's bad for us, because it creates in us this kind of Epicurean expectation, yeah, right, constant satisfaction. And uh, when we don't get that, we we're bored, right? Or we assume that something's not good, right? Right, right, right. right. not true. <laughs> you know?
0: My wife and I, we we make it a point, especially during the summer, to to allow our children to be bored, because their creative wheels start to turn, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and they begin to you know develop a myriad of different things, you know, whether it be uh, you know complete fantasy world, and they go f- go off, you know, fighting. You know, dragons sure. with sticks. You know, I mean, it's, right. I mean, it's just, I mean, just you, you see them begin to, uh, uh begin to their their creativity to, to really sure. take hold. You know, and, and we literally, I mean, we, see, and you know this too. You see such a difference between like letting your kids be bored, and they they, you know, they may slowly get into that, or if you give them, you know, TV and stuff, they just become these, you know, zombies and everything like yeah. that. One of the interesting things I was—I uh, heard a, a talk by uh, uh, Donna Freitas, the uh, um, the author of the the Happiness Effect, and she was she was talking about uh, a lot of the interviews she does in the book. She would go out to college campuses yeah. and, and interview young adults and things like that. And she said uh, that uh, all the students on campus they quickly know where kind of the dead zones are on their campus where they get no cell phone reception and she said during during periods before like midterms and finals you'll you'll have these these small areas of dead zones just packed full of kids um, huh. because they're actually trying to study and they know that they can't study if they have if they have reception really, if they have data really. and so they'll they'll they'll, they'll congregate uh, you know to yeah. these areas you know other times of years they'll avoid them like
1: i don't know if this will actually happen or not but it would be really cool uh if it did (laughs) that is you know how like we have uh, obviously like uh, like vast swaths of smoke-free zones and things of that nature it would be really funny if if some if some uh restaurants or whatever started advertising you know wi-fi free zone right like where it's actually (laughs) that's actually advertising here is is that like is you can be free from this in here
0: yeah no that that, that's actually a thing there i'm I'm, i just read a story a few weeks ago about a coffee shop that says we do not have wi-fi we encourage you to talk to people um (laughs) (laughs) and then there was and then there was another there was another one there was a restaurant that if if uh the waiter or waitress did not see uh, a cell phone during your lunch or dinner or whatever on the table or didn't see you or you know whoever you're eating with pull out their cell phone, you get like 5% off? Nice. Um, I mean, just, you know, encouraging those things.
1: just I go there all the time.
0: Oh, yeah. That's even <laughs> even just recently, Apple got into a bit of a stink because it was uh, messing with some of the apps that were in their app store. But right now, some of the most downloaded apps are the ones that will help you control your time on your phone. So huh. it, it will literally, you you set a time limit, like I only want to spend two hours on Facebook a day. Or something mm. like that. After you're on for two hours, it'll it'll kind of well, it'll lock you out, sort of. You can easily get by it, but sure. it essentially kind of just lets you know, like, hey, you've reached yeah. the, the the limit that you set for yourself. You know, right. you can just click this button and you can you know use it. But you know, mm-hmm. so I mean, there in and in the, those those there's there's several of those apps. But right now, those are some of the most downloaded apps. Yes, uh, uh, that that's out there you know so yeah, yeah this this immediate this immediacy this constant simulation i mean it just goes Correct. it just goes against you know uh, uh the fu- the proper functioning and flourishing of the human person absolutely um, yeah yeah
1: and i think the you know you can see that very clearly in terms of forming an expectation of constant stimulation right um which is unrealistic and bad for us yeah um, and it, of course, uh, you know, makes it very uh, creates a very low threshold, a very high threshold for being bored, right? You get bored oh, yeah. easily. Uh, but another thing I think that uh, we can see is distraction, right? And one of the things that, you know, from Augustine to the Stoics to, you know, uh, Soren and Kierkegaard, I mean, a wide spectrum of thinkers, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you know, the issue of distraction is a big one, right? And and you know, with the internet, right. You know, one of the ways I teach the, uh, where this comes up uh, often in my classes is most of the time I'll teach the allegory of the cave at some some point in an introduction to philosophy class. Mm-hmm. And the students spontaneously on their own, right, <laughs> identify, and I, I always love this part of it, identify the cave with the digital world.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and, and, and they'll even use those terms, right, digital world. And they'll talk about, right, the images that they see and experience uh, through social media, through the internet, as the shadows on the back of the cave wall, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, what that does is distracts us, keeps us chained, right uh, um, in this position of deception um, and illusion or delusion, um, and you almost have to be sort of pulled out of the cave, right, uh, in order to see truth, to see reality, that sort of thing. And so, um, uh, one of the what that that really brings to light, right, the issue of distraction, right, Right. that is that if we're paying attention to the shadows all the time, right, there's these flickering images, we're distracted from thinking about God, from thinking about our kids, from thinking about our friends, from thinking about uh, things that are, that require deep thought, right, yeah. Uh, and, and consideration.
0: Yeah. I think the number one reason why we don't have more saints today is because of cat videos. They're, they're, they're going to just be the ruin of us. I mean, the, 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 the amount of, you know, popularity and stupid things on sure. the internet is, I mean, it's, it's, fr- I think it's to the point of just, I, I'm frightened by it. I'm like, you know, like, a, you know, you just look at any random cat video on YouTube and you see that it has millions and millions of of views and it's like
1: what are like really like what are we doing so I mean, right. when you talk I mean, about obviously there's nothing wrong with those things in themselves but it's the, it's, the, it's the quantity right and the yeah. proportion constant, yeah 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 uh, access that creates the the endless distraction right yeah. and and really these things are set up right to keep us stimulated right yeah. um oh, yeah. and uh you know there's been revelations from you know the many of the pioneers of um internet technology where they've talked about the fact that like they've set these things up to be addictive right Um, and 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 the one effect of that is distraction from more important uh and deeper things you know like if somebody tells me that they don't have time to pray i'm gonna okay all right i get it uh I, i have a hard time sometimes working that in um but I want to ask, like, well, really, how long do you spend on, on, on social media? How long do you spend on Facebook? How long do you spend watching YouTube videos? How long do you spend watching your smart TV? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it distracts us from things that are deeper and, uh, and more significant. Uh, and also, you know, keeps you from having those. Um, there's a great novel by Kurt Vonnegut uh, about uh, a, a little essay. on, you know, I think the title of the essay is When Everyone Was Finally Equal. And one of the things they they, they do, uh, the society makes everybody equal, and they do so by, by 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 sort of impeding those who have natural advantages from taking advantage of those mm-hmm. uh, strengths, right, or qual- qualities. So very smart people, they'll put a helmet on them uh, <laughs> that creates a loud ringing sound on at, at certain periods in order to break up their thoughts so that they're not able to use their intelligence in order to get ahead of those with less intelligence right (laughs) Right? that's kind of the internet (laughs) like like there are times where what you know i need to follow this this thought about my about maybe my faults about maybe my sin i need to reflect on my character you know my failures that sort of thing but, man, it sure is convenient that, the, that you two will help me uh, avoid doing that. <laughs> you know, <It's,
0: laughs> you know the, the scariest thing I think of my kids is, is that they live their entire life on just this superficial level. That they never get into the, the deep things of, of God, the deep beauty of the world. Um, authentic good gets replaced with what is uh, sexy and immediate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's – or what, what was the uh, – um, What's the drug in uh, Brave New World? What Was it soma or something like that? Yeah. Or, you know, that, that that's essentially kind of what it sure. what it is. You know, you, uh, you get your little you get your little fix, and um, you're satisfied for that for that little bit. Um, you know, and and so I mean, you know, while there are these you know good things to you know technology and things like that, there's a lot that we need to to look at. Now, maybe we could look a little bit at how we communicate. Um, I think that's sure. that's interesting. Just communication as a whole and technological communication uh to the detriment of personal person-to-person
1: communication communication, you know i mean i think this has a big effect on our civic life um Mm -hmm. pretty obviously right so (laughs) yeah uh you know if you think about you know we've looked at the ideas of excessive stimulation looked at distraction uh another one i think is just um conflict and wrath um you know the for somehow, it's really—I'm uh, sure there's psychologists who can address this—but but somehow the, the internet um, empowers people to be their worst selves, yeah. um, right? <laughs> To be as nasty as possible, um, to to be uh, to express extreme anger, um, um, to you know to constantly vilify yeah. uh, other people with very little expense—a mm-hmm. way in which you know. Um, wouldn't happen if you were sitting down with the person yeah uh, and maybe this goes to something else we want to talk about which is the disembodied character of the internet but you know uh i think that that you have talked about in the past um a study that that i heard about where they took people with uh very diametrically opposed uh philosophical uh ideas diametrically opposed political ideas but had them eat dinner together on a regular basis yeah right and that actually they were able to form a certain uh appreciation for each other and appreciation for each other's ideas mm-hmm. that they hadn't had before uh, and while they didn't necessarily like stop having the beliefs they had they 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 gave up the vilification the right. dehumanization of their opponents um and I think that's that points to something really important. I, I use the word "real" with my kids in an odd sort of way, but <laughs> like when we do things like um, spend long and sometimes boring times mm-hmm. with extended family, mm-hmm. you know, I like to tell them that's something real, actually, yeah. right? That that was uh, it, down down here we call it visiting. Okay? <laughs> right? Visit, and, you know, you go visit and. It doesn't have a G on the end. Yeah, that's you right. Talk that. Yeah, But um, what that means, lots of times you sit in the living room uh, drinking iced tea after dinner or sitting on the porch and just talking. Yep. About nothing, nothing really super stimulating. <laughs> You're just talking to your aunts and your uncle and your, your mom and dad and all that. And it's a little boring sometimes, and that's okay. Yeah. That's actually something real because those people have a real relation to you as in, you know, a kith and kin kind of uh, Mm -hmm. uh, relationship. Right. Uh, And similarly, you know, I think, um, you know, when you're sitting down to dinner with somebody, that's real. Right. They're really there in front of you. You're doing something real together, sharing a meal together um, in a way that the Internet allows you to step away from and to really not recognize the reality of the other person.
0: Oh yeah, even even kind of the uh, the commercialization of the self, it, it has kind of taken off. Where there's people out there that when they think of who they are, that they think of themselves as a brand. Uh, Donna Fritas talks about this in her book, mm-hmm. um, and, and we see this all, all all over with social media. What they're called influencers? They'll just because they have so many followers, <laughs> they'll 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 post themselves like drinking. You know, like you know you know Ben Smith. You know, Badger Coffee or something like that, <laughs> and and all of a sudden, boom! You know, so I mean, people are paying these people to like use their products in their things. So I mean, their identity is there; it, it becomes this brand, and it's Ooh. and it just you know, and and even you know, students, you know, in in many of the interviews that I've looked at, I mean, the students talk about this this kind of duplicity of their 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 online self and their real self, and like. Mm-hmm. all of these things and it and none of that can you know uh lead uh to anything good uh, um yeah, having yeah. this this complete duplicity uh of yourself i mean it's a uh well, it goes but it was, it's,
1: it's it's at least not a real friendship it's not a real yeah. connection it's not a real community i mean we talk about online communities and i think that there's a little bit there okay yeah So I don't want to say that that doesn't exist at all. You know, certainly Catholic Studies Academy, you know, we've uh, formed connections with others. Hopefully it's based on something real, namely the reality of God, reality of the faith, uh, those sorts of things. Um, But you know what? It's so much better when it's based on, you know, embodied experiences, real friendships, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And, uh, you know, we need to, I think, sort of um, to guard that. And I think in our civic life, because... Of the disembodied character of the internet, you know, mm-hmm. it's 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 very easy for us to, as I say, to just sort of vilify. Also, to get yourself kind of stuck in an echo chamber where yep. you only hear reinforcing views, uh, that sort of thing. Um, in which case, you know, uh, it just makes you. If all of your friends and every educated person you know says you know, uh the president's an idiot and evil and you know, drags his knuckles and kicks dogs and homeless people. Then like you're gonna say, well, wait, say I guess he's really that terrible. Right? Yeah. You know, like uh and maybe he is, I don't know. But the point being like uh it's going to create in you, right, an over exaggerated caricature of your opponents. Oh yeah. Uh, uh in many ways. Uh in addition to that, I think kind of going along with as you were suggesting before is when you're pre- presenting on the internet, sort of this false image, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this constructed image, this brand, right? Yeah. You're right that it's it's not it's not it's not reality. So you're creating in yourself uh, this kind of, as you said, duplicity, kind of inauthenticity. Um, and at the same time, though, it really this kind of media image that we're all able to have. Think about that, right? We're all able to now have a media image, right? Not just celebrities, not just politicians. We all now ha- have a media uh, persona, an avatar, so to speak, <laughs> uh, of ourselves. And, and this is so strange. We can have real sins of vanity and envy rooted in our um, social image, right? That is our, our media uh, image. Uh, and that's really sort of bizarre <laughs> when you really start to think about it, right? Uh, that we would we – would, have you know acts of envy acts of vanity that are rooted in a disembodied disingenuous uh representation in social media
0: and i think it 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 takes on a a new level because it's not just like you have this image in your local community like this Mm -hmm. is a like the 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 audience and and even you know uh, uh many young people they talk about you know on social media and stuff, they talk about, you know, well, I have to, I have to appeal to my different audiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and in this, I mean, so, I mean, you're talking about this. And so when you, I think when you have a, a, a young gen- generation or, or a society that begins to focus more on their, uh, on how they appear to the rest of the world, as opposed to mm-hmm. who they actually are, you know, uh, appearances versus actually being, um, mm-hmm it just sure. it, it leads to that to that vanity and that vanity when when you're surrounded by and constantly you know shown uh how great other people are uh, right. uh and the, the maddening thing is it is everybody knows it's false that- everybody everybody knows that that's not the reality that they yeah. that this person's always happy we talked about this before mm-hmm. that this person's always happy or appears to be always be happy uh, yeah. uh, uh but it bothers us and so i mean sure. that 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 i think that uh, has really fed the the anxiety disorders that we have in this world is this constant sure. uh, um, kind of back and forth between you know the ups the ups of vanity and the downs of envy. And, I mean, it's good. just uh, yeah. taking you on this roller coaster of of just self centeredness.
1: Yes, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, Jason. The um, I mean, I think that there is a, a role in social media for um, the natural desire to share things with yeah. others. Yeah. Uh, and I think that I can see that's where you know like um, that's where uh, you know I, I see how that that's useful, right? Like you you see a beautiful sunset and and you, you want to share that with your friends and and you do so or whatever it might be, right. Um, that's understandable, but it also creates a um, a circumstance, right in which it's very easy to fall into vanity and envy we like to be so when you try to be a little precise here you know vanity is rooted in the natural desire to be praised mm-hmm. uh it's not wrong in itself to to a desire esteem from your colleagues but it very easily gets thwarted or disordered in a way and becomes a circumstance where we have a disordered desire for praise right to be praised for that which is not praiseworthy or yeah. to be praised to an excessive degree or have an excessive attachment to praise. And, of course, Facebook makes that so easy for us, right, because we put out something and we get lots of likes and thumbs up and all that sort of thing, right? And you're like, yes, I'm getting praised, right? Uh, Or on the other side, right, uh, envy, right, is sorrow over the good of another, right? Right, right. So you think about envy is really uh, kind of nasty, a little bit ugly, right, because really what is happening there is, your your response to the good of another ought to be joy right right um but instead you're grieved that another person has uh this good ultimately because you know you want it to be your own and not theirs to desire what somebody else desire uh, has as good is not necessarily evil itself right if you if it's good yeah yeah right if you have a pleasant home and you say man jason's got a pleasant home i'd like to have a pleasant home too there's nothing wrong with that right but it's it's to have that grief and maybe anger over the fact that you have something that I don't, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and of course, when people are constantly putting images of their of of, of themselves being constantly and completely happy, right? Oh yeah, uh, that makes it very easy for those who are going through suffering, those who are deprived, those who are going through uh, disappointments, divorces, disease, sickness, to feel like, gosh, my life's kind of crappy. Yeah. compared to this other person i think i mentioned this before but i one time had a very uh attractive uh young lady as a student who talked about the fact that she felt like uh she like that she would get up in the morning and get herself ready and she would feel like that she was attractive and then she would go online and see all of these other people and in comparison to them she would come away with the feeling that oh i'm ugly i'm you know unattractive or whatever which is demonstrably not the case uh you know but it was this circumstance that caused in her this mm-hmm. feeling of uh, self-loathing. So while I wouldn't want to say social media is intrinsically bad, right, we do right. need to be aware of the fact that it can be a real opportunity for both vanity and for envy and for causing, causing self-loathing in others.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just this, you know, uh, um, I think I think the real remedy for a lot of this stuff is to to instill within our, our children um you know, that, that, you know, we, we compare ourselves, uh, or, or the standard of our life is, uh, God and what he has revealed to us, you know, uh, um, that's where, that's where it lies, you know? So we compare ourselves to, uh, um, what god has set forth you know to right. we compare ourselves to our life versus the commandments yeah. not our sure. life versus our slightly less heathen neighbor yeah, you know like
1: right. <laughs> like i think i think yeah I mean, we are looking for his godly standards biblical standards standards of christian tradition and thought right um that's we used to be where our identity is and that's where our standards need to be
0: it really does something for the human person because i mean that you know the, the ten commandments for example that's a solid standard for us to, to look at and to measure and to work towards. Whereas when we're constantly, you know, um, looking at this thing that's always in flux, uh, we can never, we can never really get there because as soon as we get to one spot, something changes and then something changes, you know? So, so it also creates, I mean, this, this constant level of, of anxiety, of, of just uh, uh, like you said, envy, uh, and just sure. kind of this anxiousness to 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 reach a certain level that's that's never really attainable. Now, I know we can't really reach heaven here on earth. I understand that, but at the same time, there are certain standards that are solid that we can that our mind can grasp, that our sure. our 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 moral uh, kind of uh, vision uh, mm-hmm. can set it set a real focus on. Uh, yeah, whereas sure. social media, it's, it's just, it's hard to focus. Like you said, there's all these different distractions and things. It's hard to sure. even focus on anything. Whereas, you know, I think when we step away from that, uh, it can really <laughs> be, uh, clarifying. And I think something we can kind of ah, breathe, breathe a sigh of relief with like here, you know, here I can rest my head, you know, here I sure. can get away from, from, from all of it.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. And you know, the sense of, uh, of getting away, I think is, is helpful here, Jason, uh, One of the things that I think, you know, we've we've looked at, say, distraction, uh, overstimulation, envy, vanity, um, uh, sort of vilification. Uh, One other area, though, that I think if I was to sort of wrap all of this up into sort of like a larger picture Mm -hmm. is that digital technology, as great as it is for many things, and it really is, obviously, Catholic Studies Academy exists because of it, right? Yeah. Um, The – as great as it is, though, it really – it's an amazing device for communicating information. In a lot of ways, it's an amazing time-saving device. But one of the things it hasn't done is it hasn't actually created more leisure. Right. That is, uh, as, as much it is as it is a time-saving device. As uh, uh, in a way, it actually has made our lives busier. Right? <laughs> it's, hard, it's harder to escape work. Um, in a lot of ways, it's harder to. Uh, uh, to set things down and just be like, okay, you know what? I'm done. Right. Uh, because of the constant press and speed of life that's created by uh, digital technology, there's a 24 hour news cycle that's constantly updated. Um, you're, you know, if you're in business, your competition is constantly trying to beat you. You're, you need to be constantly trying to, uh, yeah. to get, uh, more advantage and you can do that all the time by through internet technology. Right. Um, so one of the things that I, I really uh, think is important is uh, for Catholics, for all Christians, but Catholics in particular, to reclaim uh, a humane pace of life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a slow, uh, a kind of a, a, a slow life, right? So I know for a while there was a fad of slow cooking, right? Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing, and I, I kind of, I, personally, I, I kind of get that, right? I mean, I think that meaningful relationships. Deep experiences of God, of the people, reading, uh, conversation, being in nature—those are things that are slow and take time
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, to do well. Uh, kind of like I was just talking about with visiting, right? Like you—you you really you need to—it's just a time. You just have to sort of sit there and just kind of invest yourself in this, and uh, and that's fine. So that actually, many of the things, especially if you think about your prayer life. You think about liturgy. Right, liturgy shouldn't be something that we sort of. This is hard to do, but liturgy shouldn't be something we wedge into the weekend. Right, 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 right. It, it, it's actually the goal of the whole week. Yeah, right. And the liturgical calendar is the goal of the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually the apex of the Christian life. I know that sounds idealistic, and I know it's hard to maintain that focus. Um, but it takes time, you know. So. You know, you need the kind of remote preparation for that as well as proximate preparation.
0: Yeah, ever ever since reading Screw Tape letters, I always like to play that game. <laughs> if I were the devil, how would I do this? And, and when you take, especially when you look at that concept of time, I found this uh, just absolutely fascinating when you think about it. Uh, uh, so let's let's look at two different experiences, and again, think if with the mindset, of if I were the devil, you know, because most people, one of the things are the thing they treasure the most is their time. You talked about earlier about how you know just constant things online how easy it is to lose track of time uh you're just constantly stimulated uh now think think about for the the average and we'll just say catholic because of our audience think about the average catholic even the good catholic when during the week are they most conscious of time what hour during the week (laughs) <laughs> I gave you a hint
1: exactly exactly like they are, like 55 minutes here yeah
0: <laughs> I mean I, I knew this I knew this one guy who just said like I give father one hour and then I'm out of there like that you know like I was like wow that's pretty harsh you know but but, but, but <laughs> I mean like we want our time we value it so much and yet we could sit there and scroll through endless cat videos for hours on end and actually lose track of our time and yet when we go to do the, the the greatest thing on earth, sure. we become just hyper obsessive of uh,
1: of, of time. You know,
0: and, and yeah, I think that's sure. amazing thing, amazing tool that the devil uses.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think one of the one of the issues there, right, is that it's it, it with TV and technology in general, right, uh, uh-huh. or digital technology, media technology. It, it's to enter into the liturgy. Isn't easy. It takes a certain amount of concentration. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a little bit of willingness to be bored at first, right? And I wouldn't for a minute claim that every time I go to, the, you know, that I'm involved in the liturgy that I, you know, i am having sort of like deep mystical experiences oh, at yeah. all. Yeah. But at the same time, I will say that when I put forth the effort, there's a there are some moments in the, during the liturgy. Where I know that if I put forth the effort here to concentrate, right, mm-hmm. um, that actually I will enter in. I, you know, at the parish where I go, one of the places that this is a simple, very simple thing, but uh, one of the the times where in in whatever you know uh, when, when we go there is when we sing the Our Father together. We sing it a cappella, and uh, it's real simple. It's not sur- it's, it's not super fancy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just um the way that we do it but it's a it's a it's a moment where like oh yeah like you kind of feel the resonance of all together you know professing our faith in the fatherhood of god in jesus christ you know all those sorts of things right uh i really uh think that's an important point uh but it takes again time right Mm -hmm. it takes concentration it takes it's not always immediately stimulating right right. (laughs) right um You know, one of the things I heard from an Orthodox priest one time was that the icons are very important, but that they're really just remote preparation of the imagination, Mm -hmm. right? Approximate Mm -hmm. preparation of the imagination. That is, you take in the icons to kind of wash out the imagination, uh, to kind of sanctify it, and then close your eyes. Right. Now, I'm not saying, you know, closing your eyes during liturgy is necessary or something, but I think you, you kind of get the point that. You know, at a certain point, you do have to really have a kind of internal concentration. Oh yeah, uh, in order to really benefit uh, from the liturgy and to do what you're there to do, which is to worship God. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, the closing off of some senses allows your inner sense to 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 take over a little bit a a little bit more. Um, You know, and I always I always make this point with catechists, especially if they're teaching adolescents and stuff, Mm -hmm. is that you know when you look at, um, you know, uh, the Mass. In the sacraments and the liturgy as a whole, uh, uh, many times the reason why it's boring uh, mm-hmm. is because of the mercy of God. He 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 doesn't restrict uh, salvation. He doesn't restrict his grace in the sacraments to say one time a year. I right. mean, if he did, if we if we had mass just one time a year, <laughs> think about think about us, you know, entering into it. You know, it would be it would be wholly different, um, sure. but he's not, you know, he, you know, Ooh. mass is offered every single hour of every single day around the world. Uh, I mean, you can go to mass every single day of your life, um, but there, but there's, but there's something to uh, uh, something merciful, not only about mass being offered that many times or, or baptism being offered constantly and us being, but, but also the, there's, there's, I think some uh, relief and the structure of it as well. We don't have to guess the that the sacraments are not somehow dependent upon our creativity. Sure, um, right. That it's sure. something that we can experience once. We can come back to and maybe go a little deeper into. We can uh, 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 we can read a book or or, or study <laughs> study a particular part about it, and then we can go back and enter into it again. Uh, uh, so I mean, there's there's something there that again, this 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 gradual and in stages. I mean, we look at all of sacred scripture. I mean, just you know, God just didn't say Adam and Eve you screwed it up. Here's Jesus, you know, but okay. he but he gradually formed his very people. Gradually. Yeah, right. very very gradually. I mean, they were in the desert for for an entire generation. I mean, forty sure. years. I just think they they just. They were they were supposed to go to Texas and they just never they just never made it. They just kind of wandered in a circle because um, that's about how long it would take to get from, you know, uh, Egypt to Texas. But uh, uh, that's just my own personal opinion. Um, but but I think, you know, there's this there's this gradualness, like you said, uh, that we lose that we lose sight of. It's this 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 slow process.
1: Sure. One of the things I think about uh, um our sort of uh, antipathy to slow process, mm-hmm. to gradual growth, right? Um, has something to do with the kind of disembodied experience that we receive in digital media. Yeah. Um, and, and we've already talked to some with respect to civic life, but I say more even just sort of metaphysically. Uh, it's really possible for me to, like, in my imagination, my consciousness, my psych, uh, my sort of psychological interaction or energy to my psychological dimension. To be absorbed into the kind of the digital war world in such a way that I lose sense of myself as a bodily being, mm, yeah. Uh, and and you know I can I can go and look at things in Russia. I can uh, look, uh, you know, uh, I can read this article or watch this YouTube or you know, et cetera, right without any sense of my bodily location almost. it, right. that make sense? Right? Oh yeah. If you've read the
0: book, ready player one, if any of our audience has, that's exactly it's the, the whole world is falling down around them, but they're constantly online. So the, the, the world is great and wonderful there, um, right, but, yeah. but, but everything so, else around them is crashing down. So yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, that makes things really hard for us because right. Um, uh, Arthur Danton, uh, important art theorist of the early or the mid 20th century he wrote this really before the internet digital world began he talks about right that the the 20th century is the age of the hyper real Mm. what he means is that the in hyper real the representation becomes more real than the real yeah and uh i think that's exactly what we have here where you know like your, your media image um your sense of being able to do whatever you want be satisfied however you want to be satisfied uh, whenever you want it constantly, right? It has to do with your interaction with the hyperreal, because in the hyperreal, that is just in the digital world. It's like that, right? Yeah. I can constantly be stimulated. I can go wherever I want to go, think wherever I want to think. And there is a certain part of that that's, that's maybe useful, but in this sort of unregulated uh, sense, right? It almost, um, it becomes sort of a, um, a falsified reality. And, and I think a good way, and, and one of the things that's a result of that is I think it, it tends to create in us a distaste for manual labor,
0: Mm. a
1: distaste for the limitations of the real, right? When you step away from the internet, or let's say you step away from a video game, Mm -hmm. right? Where you're kind of like almost a superhuman combat soldier, right? (laughs) And you're like, you know, doing flips off of buildings and, Doing all this kind of thing, right? And then you have to go work, you know, and go pull weeds. You realize really, I'm not actually a super combat soldier. Yeah,
0: right? I'm a snowflake. <laughs> My yeah,
1: reality, who I really <laughs> am, right? Is uh, a middle aged guy with it's you know kind of moderately <laughs> fit, right? Um, and man, pulling weeds in the sun kind of is tough, <laughs> you know. But that's actually good for me. It's good for any of us to meet our real physical limitations, um, to experience ourselves, and I think you know one you know as we're you know uh close to the celebration of of saint joseph uh the feast of saint joseph
0: Mm -hmm. may 1st
1: yeah it's good it's good to, to have that in mind uh you know um St. Joseph has been held out to us for a number of reasons, but one of them was the dignity of a labor or the dignity of work mm-hmm. uh, that St. Joseph represents. He had a very simple life. He did not have a fulfilling, stimulating career, right? <laughs> uh, right? He, had a, he, he did simple work. Now maybe that was fulfilling in a, in a certain way, but uh, it, it, it was just the kind of simple work that, that someone would do from that period. And it was manual, right? It was, it was hard work. Um, our Lord Himself, right, trained in that in that craft. Uh, he didn't train as a scribe. Yeah, interesting, right? He uh, God didn't have you know the Father didn't have His Son born into a family that was wealthy where He would be uh, trained as a scribe or as a, as a um, you know maybe a, a their version of an attorney uh, uh, that sort of thing, right? He was uh, born into a very simple family that did manual labor, right? Yeah, um, and so I think. You know, not that you need to be romantic about manual labor in itself, mm-hmm. but just recognizing that there is a dignity to it, and very importantly, it connects us to the real, right? It reminds us of our embodied uh, character, um, and our embodied uh, lives and existence, uh, and of our real limitations.
0: Yeah, and I think you know another point with Saint Joseph is, is also his silence. You know, the uh, uh, there's no recorded words of Saint Joseph. Um, but but we also see in his life, you know, he, he did the, the very difficult things. He, he simply did them, you know, following the mm-hmm. promptings of the Holy Spirit. He married Mary. He That's right. fled right. to Egypt. Um, yeah. or, you know, like, you know, there were, there were many different things that he did um, that there's this kind of, you know, silent virtue, which, you know, I think as, um, you know, Cardinal Sarah describes it, you know, in a dictatorship of noise. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that there's something to the silence of St. Joseph that, you know, that, that, you know, we can really call upon and that we really, our society really does need, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, his, uh, intercession, uh, to, sure. to, again, not shun technology, uh, but to right. simply recognize it for what it's, uh, worth, that it is a tool. Um, but also that it, you know, uh, that it has these, these pros and cons and we need to have the maturity and the stability, spiritually and physically, uh, to be able to set those set those limits, set those balances, uh, and not fall into all those things that we talked about. Well, Dr. Smith, I think we've given our audience uh, a lot to think about there and so many uh, other things, I'm sure, that come to mind as well when it comes to uh, the use of technology, and the interaction of technology with uh, almost every single aspect of our lives. And so I just want to encourage our, our audience, you know, on the Feast of St. Joseph, ask for his intercession, spend some time in silent mental prayer, Uh, asking for his intercession, uh, maybe seeking to imitate that virtue of of silence, not as the absence of noise, but silence as the the place where we meet God. Uh, The absence of noise, yes, is a prerequisite to entering into silence. The goal of silence is not the absence of noise, but it's to enter into that relationship uh, with God. And the intercession of St. Joseph uh, can do that. Uh, um, and also to take very to take you know some pride in your work, whatever it may be, whatever how simple or or how difficult it may be, but also understand the dignity of work through the intercession of Saint Joseph. Uh, so, in the meantime, check us out at CatholicStudiesAcademy.com. Check out our content on there. Uh, again, don't spend too much time. Uh, if you do. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Uh, We want to uh, help all of our listeners grow in their relationship with God and grow deeper in the understanding of the Catholic faith. Until next time, God bless.